Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Tuesday, September 28th, and I think I kind of know where I'm at. Uh, when I landed yesterday from Italy, uh, I got to Idaho late afternoon, I don't know, 3 o'clock or something like that. I was not sure what planet uh, I was inhabiting. I did not feel good. I still don't feel great. Not like sick, but... Just uh, a mixture of jet lag and exhaustion and just beaten down. Um, I had a five-hour drive in the rain after uh, the race ended on Sunday. I had to drive down to Rome to get my return flight. I got about, I don't know, three hours of sleep maybe and uh, got over to the airport, which, you know, these airports, international ones especially, are, are pretty... Uh, congested and there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through with COVID and all these things. Uh, so I got there early to sort through all of that stuff with negative tests and, uh, vaccine cards and all this stuff. Flew to Amsterdam, had a layover and my flight was all screwed up. So they had to switch me over, which was pretty stressful and, um, made the flight, flew to Salt Lake and got back home, but I mean, it's a, you know, I don't know, 20 hour trip or something pretty crazy. And for those of you who haven't traveled, traveled internationally, it takes it out of you. Um, the time change wearing a mask for that long continuously is not for me. Um, it just gives you a headache and you're not like breathing all that well for that long. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of complications and it's exhausting comparatively to, an already exhausting, you know, trip before all this crap was going on. So I'm very thankful that I get to do that. Don't get me wrong. I, I really go. Otherwise, I, I really like going. Otherwise, I wouldn't go. But it's challenging. And um, just trying to kind of pull it together today, uh, working from home because uh, we have these mandatory quarantines after traveling. So hopefully I can get back in the office this week. But before we get into the race, I do want to thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Blends All Oils, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being a part of this podcast. And I went into some really in-depth conversations about them on uh, Thursday's podcast. If you want to check those out, I'm going to try to keep this one a little bit shorter since it's a Tuesday, kind of a special edition one. But I did want to uh, kind of cover what we saw what went on, what happened, and, and we will talk in depth about that, I'm sure, on the uh, Pulp MX Show Special Edition Tuesday Pulp MX Show tonight. 
But as you know, it rained on Sunday, which it seems to always do. Uh, 2017, 18, 19, and now 21 have all been muddy affairs. And when I say muddy, I mean pretty darn muddy, uh, pretty hard rains. It could have been worse, I'll be honest and, and be fair. It could have been much worse on Sunday at um, Mantova. And we got lucky because it only rained on Sunday and it wasn't like a Florida tropical type downpour. Uh, it was just kind of a steady grinding type rain, although we did get a lot of lightning and I was kind of surprised. I, I don't know what the rules are, but I'm guessing since they don't deal with thunderstorms as often in Europe that they don't have as strict of rules. But I can promise you if that had been the U.S., we would not have been racing. Uh, there was a lightning everywhere around us. I mean, it, you look out of every any window, you look you know, into, into the horizon, you see lightning all around. So I was, I was really surprised there was no interruption. And uh, in the racing, I never even heard any chatter about it. But uh, it was, yeah, it was an interesting uh, afternoon of weather. And we, we saw it coming, though. I mean, it was literally a 100% chance of rain leading up to it. So it shouldn't have shocked anybody. As for the results, I mean, I, I could not have been happier for Italy. You know, the USA wasn't there, so that took any sort of bias from me out. You know, I was just there to enjoy it and uh, see who won. But I was pulling for Italy, you know, like not die hard or and it, I would not have been bummed out if they didn't win but I was if I had a favorite team going in it was certainly Italy and really it's just because of Tony Caroli um you know I I went to his house a few years ago and got to spend some time with him and uh Chad Reed and, and my friend Dan Truman were all there and and we went out with him went to dinner and lunch and spent a few days with him which was just an amazing time and he was so hospitable to us, you know, letting us in his house and hang out at the pool and took us into town. And the guys, he does it right. You know, he's a nine-time world champion, but off the bike is uh, even more impressive to me about just how he carries himself. And I, I kind of went into some conversation on that uh, last week. But, man, I just was so overjoyed that they won. You know, he had a huge crash in Sardinia. And if you didn't watch that MXGP, he wasn't even able to race. And there was a time for a couple minutes where he didn't have feeling in parts of his body. So it's a really scary crash. He didn't know if he was going to race. He wasn't sure how he was going to be able to perform. And yet they go get it done. So I, I was just, I left the track on Sunday afternoon with a smile on my face. And yes, I was, I was dodging chaos uh, to say the least. I mean, there were people just going crazy, like running over me, trying to get to the racetrack as I was trying to exit. And uh, you just knew they were going to burn that place to the ground and, and excitement. And that's what it's all about. When the home nation wins a race like that, they go crazy and they should. That's, I'm, that's what I'm hoping we get at Redbud uh, next September. So as for the penalty, if you guys watched, you saw in the middle of the final moto, they hand down this 10 position penalty to Alessandro Lupino. And I think it was fair. There was, there's still controversy. People are not happy about this this whole situation. They think it should have been a more severe penalty. They think that they should not have been able to win no matter what. I've seen about every take possible. But as for my opinion, I kind of think it was okay. Like as far as it, the, the punishment fit the crime, he definitely went off the track. He definitely cut a hole straightaway out. He definitely didn't let most of the field go by. So if you want to say... Those things that he was, you know, it was a definite, um, 
a mistake on his part as far as something that should have been penalized, I agree. That that's a fair take is to say he absolutely deserved a punishment. I personally think that 10 positions is a pretty harsh penalty. So I think as egregious as the the mistake was, I think 10 positions is is a fair penalty. Like that's that's harsh. So I don't think you can really take too much fault with the race direction for how they handled it. And to Lapino's credit, he had to make passes. You know, they were losing at one point, and he had to go past guys in front of him to get the win done. So I, I'm good with it. You know, I, I'm sure there are going to be people crying foul and have sour grapes. That's fine. I, I understand. And if, if my nation had lost because of that whole ordeal, I would probably be angry too. And I would probably be complaining. So I, I get it, and I'm not, I'm not coming down on them. I'm not condemning their opinion whatsoever. Just my opinion, uh, I think it was probably a fair penalty handed down. And remember, this was going on in the middle of the race. This was the final moto. Team Italy is in pit lane just freaking out because, you know, they haven't won in years. It's their home race. It's likely Tony's last attempt at this. And everything's unfolding minute by minute, right? This penalty comes down. Now Lupino has already had this big crash. They don't even know if he's really, you know, mentally there or not. Can they get the message to him that he's got to make? He moves forward in the rain. Like there's just, it, it was really chaotic. And there really wasn't a lot of time to kind of sort this out. So I thought it was high drama. I thought it was awesome to watch. And for me, I didn't really have anything riding on it. So I could just kind of absorb it and take it for what it was. So congrats to Italy. I thought Tony deserved it. Um, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So, uh, yeah, kudos across the board to all of that team, to Carly, KTM, like everybody involved, uh, good for those guys. As for Jeffrey Hurlings, I mean, what more can you say? He dominated. And, yeah, they didn't win, but if you don't think Jeffrey Hurlings was the best guy there by a lot, then you didn't watch the race. I mean, he, he won by almost a minute in both of his races, no one was even close to him, honestly. You know, the, the first race, he was kind of feeling it out. You saw Rene Hofer close in, which was, I think, Hurling's just trying to learn the track. Because remember, it was probably like a four-hour break from when he rode it in free practice until when he rode it in his race two. And he didn't go out on the, on the siding lap. So he really had no idea what he was getting into other than trying to, you know, get glimpses of it from the side of the track. And watching race one um, on the uh, you know on the streaming video, so there was a lot to sort out for him, and you can kind of see him going through the paces in the first few laps. He didn't want to make a mistake. He didn't want to do anything stupid. But once he found his groove and started getting the track dialed in, he just checked out. You know, he was doing three, four, five seconds a lap better than everybody else. So most of you weren't there. I get it. I would I would be surprised if anybody listening to this was actually at the event. But for Hurlings, man, it was an all-business weekend. There was no fluff. There was no hanging out. You could tell that he was there to get the race done, try to win the, the, the race for Motocross and Nations and for his sponsors, and uh, just get out of there. Like he, he didn't, I don't think he really wanted to be there, to be completely honest with you, simply because they're in the middle of this championship fight, and he just regained the red plate. So I think he was a little bit worried about risk, I think he was also 
realizing that he was sacrificing some time off where these other guys, whether it was Geiser or Fevra or Prado, they were all resting and they were, they were able to regroup and recoup a little of that, you know, the, the consecutive races they've been going through. So I commend Hurlings for being there. He certainly helped make the event better, but I'm not really sure how much he actually enjoyed being there and just seeing him walk around, seeing how straightforward he was about the event. Uh, I think he knew he was the best guy there. I don't think, and obviously the results, you know, bore that out. There was no question who the best guy there was, but I think it was get in, get out, win my race and go home. And he, and he won by almost a minute, as I mentioned in both races. So he was effective in that. Unfortunately, he wasn't rewarded with any sort of win, but uh, it was an, a really, really impressive performance by Hurlings that got overlooked because, yeah, they, they came up short. Not anything to do with what he did, right? You, you look at Van der Moschdijk's results, you look at Glenn, Holden, Glenn Koldenhoff's results, and you can kind of see why they didn't get it done. Koldenhoff actually had a really nice ride in race two, but the race one first turn crash really did them in. Um, and, I, you know, I wrote about this in Breakdown on RacerX Online. I hesitate to say did them in because I really think that Rowan van de Moschdijk's day was really the weak link there. And I get it, man. Things happen. People crash. You have bad days. But if you're looking for a reason why the Dutch didn't win, you could probably point to van de Moschdijk's 18-20 scores. The MX2 class is really critical at this event. Always has been. Likely always will be. Because you have your stars that are typically on the 450s, well, your MX2 rider, if he gets a 10th versus a 20th in both motos, that's huge, right? You're talking about being able to use one of those 10th place finishes where a lot of times you won't even use your MX2 score. For, so, for a lot of these teams, if, if they have a bad MX2 day because they got bad starts and they're buried in the pack, they'll throw out one of the MX2 scores and, have, and then if the other MX2 score is a good one, Man, it propels your team so far forward. And it's something, if you've really never paid attention, just watch from here on out in the Motocross of Nations and see how critical DMX2 score is. It's likely the difference between winning and losing the event. If you can get even just one solid MX2 score, your chances of winning this event go up exponentially. And yeah. The Dutch did not. Uh, having to use an 18th um, is not ideal. Uh, it just adds, you know, it just makes your score so high. You know, if you can get in the 20s as your team score, extremely good chance of winning unless you're up against a juggernaut year like the French have had. But this race, you're talking you're in the high 30s to get the win, right? So, um, yeah, it was just a really high-scoring motocross of nations. I think the the real question for the Dutch is, did they make the right decision going with Van de Moschdijk? If you look at their their potential picks, Kaida Wolf has really been on form. He's been in the mix for podiums as of late. I think their issue was he's really young, and I think they were worried that his inexperience and his youth would be a liability at an event that is this high pressure and takes really good decision-making. It takes you know, a certain skill set to battle against the 450s. And I think they were just worried about putting him under too much pressure, right? Putting him into an environment where he's just not ready for that moment yet. And I don't know if he would have been or not. I just think that was probably their mindset and probably why they went with Van de Moschdijk. Right or wrong, hard to say, right? And it doesn't matter now. 
I think they can look back and say, we made the wrong call. And that's not really fair to Van de Moosdijk because who knows what Kai DeWolf would have done. Maybe Kai DeWolf does worse than 18-20. But I think if you're looking to be critical, that's really your only angle is to, uh, to say they made the wrong, the wrong pick there. Uh, one, one other note I had on uh, just kind of the musings of Europe and things I, I took in from the weekend. There's a huge shakeup going on with uh, the Austrian teams. And you're going to see news coming out for DeCarly KTM. They're going to be uh, switching to Gas Gas for uh, 2022. Um, that, it's a pretty well-known rumor out there that that's happening. And I'm not exactly sure why Austria is moving all these things around, right? So a really long-standing KTM team that is, uh, if you don't know who I'm talking about, that's the team that hosts Jorge Prado, Tony Caroli, and Mattia Guaragnini in the MX2 class. They will be switching to Gas Gas from KTM. So that's a pretty big switch. And then the standing construct, Gas Gas, who has been factory Gas Gas for the last couple of years, will be switching to, I believe, Husqvarna. So that's a pretty big shift, too. That's not announced yet, but I, I have it on pretty good authority that that's happening. And then the Hurlings KTM team, which is uh, Red Bull KTM managed by Dirk Grubel, that's a Belgian based KTM team. They would stay on KTM. So there's a lot of moving parts there. Uh, it seems like just kind of a rethink of how they're distributing their assets. I don't really know why. I don't have any insight as to the, the thoughts behind it. But I know there's a lot of moving and shaking, right? And, and if you look at how it's placed now, the Ice One Husky team, it, it's Arminas Jessiconis and um, sorry, who I'm trying to think of who the other 450 guy there is. I don't know why it's escaping me. But that team is switching to Kawasaki. So <laughs> there's a lot of shakeups and, and you would need a flow chart to really think out how this is all moving around. But just watch for that. Watch how it unfolds. And there's a lot of pushing and pulling behind the scenes. I don't think everybody's thrilled about it. There's some political things at play as far as like Prado wants to be the main guy on a team. So he's going to be now the factory gas gas guy and get all the gas gas effort. Hurlings will be the main KTM guy. Jonas will be the main Husky guy. So some of that is like some ego at play, in my opinion, too. Like, and that's not a bad thing. I just think some of these guys want to be positioned as the number one for a brand. And there's a lot of that, right? Febre has that for Cowie. Geiser has that for Honda. Hurlings will now have that for KTM. Prada will now have that for Gas Gas. Jonas will now have that for, for Husky. Uh, so, and, and that all makes sense, but to get there, the positioning behind the scenes has been pretty extensive. So just something I wanted to touch on because I know a lot of those rumors and, and the scuttlebutt doesn't really make it to the States. Um, you'll just, all of a sudden they'll pop up and like, oh yeah, that team is now this. And you don't really know how we got from A to B, but this has kind of been going on for a couple of months uh, and, and maybe even sooner than that, maybe the last couple of weeks, this news has really come down. One other note on uh, Tom Vial, man, he, he had to be bummed. He got screwed. Uh, if, you look, if you watched him, he was riding so well for Team France, and he has a mechanical in his second MX2 moto. He would have been your MX2 winner on the day and probably kept Team France in the fight for a podium. When he goes out, he DNFs, then you see Patriel have issues, you see Blar may have issues, and their team went from the leader after race one to way out of it. I mean, they just completely fell apart. So 
they've had huge success over the last few years, so I don't really feel <laughs> feel sorry for them. And uh, I would have a very strong feeling they'll they'll bring a strong team next year. Coming back to Red Blood, you, you would guess that guys like Ferrandis and Muscan and some of their strongest riders will want to show up and race uh, for Team France. So they will be a, a team to absolutely deal with come next September. So the last real note I have is on Red Bud, right? The news came out Sunday, Saturday night, Saturday night that uh, we're going back to Red Bud next year. And for me, I, I could not be more excited. Obviously, I was there in 2018 and had a great time, even though the rain sucked and the result for Team USA sucked. But it was still an awesome weekend. It, it was impossible to go there and not have a good time. So I think it's going to be even better next year. I think a lot of the growing pains and things that we learned organizationally and planning wise and events that we can pull off at the event. You know, I think doing that live radio show again that we streamed throughout the weekend, the pit bike of nations, all these great VIP hospitality angles that there there will be like there, it's just going to be an all time event because four years gives you a ton of time to learn and plan and reposition. So it's, it's going to be great. I've already been in meetings about this event and we're a year away. So that kind of tells you how big this thing's going to be. So make your plans now. I was already actually trying to get a hotel and a lot of them are already sold out. So I need to make a move on that. I'm going to try to call around and uh, try to lock some stuff in, but the hotel of, of my choice was already sold out, which sucks. So I need to, I need to pivot there, but I couldn't recommend that event any more than I am right now. Uh, I highly, highly suggest finding a way to get there, whether it's in a motorhome, whether it's on a flight, driving, whatever you got to do. Events like this don't come around all that often. Uh, it, it's, I would have said 2018 would have been once in a lifetime, but the rain kind of dampened it a, li- a bit, pardon the pun. And obviously Team USA's lackluster Sunday dampened it a bit. But here we are again four years later with another opportunity. And I just think it's going to be one of those events where you're going to always remember. Like, you'll always look back on this event next year. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be that good, in my opinion. So, anyway, short but sweet this week. Uh, it was just a Thursday edition. Uh, I'll probably do a Sunday one as well. Why do I keep saying Thursday? It's a Tuesday edition. But um, thanks to all the sponsors. It's, I think I'm saying Thursday because I'm so jet-lagged. It's probably my problem. My brain's not functioning very well. But uh, thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you to everybody for listening. And I am going to, uh, yeah, go sit in a dark room and try to, try to uh, rewire my brain a little bit here. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you.